If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Luke 15. Luke 15. And I want to minister a message this morning entitled Lost and Found. Lost and Found. And if you'll just sit tight with me for a minute, I want to read the whole chapter. Because there are three important parables in this that we're going to talk about this morning that are going to help us to really see what God, His heartbeat is all about, what God's heartbeat is for. I know that a lot of times we come to church and we, we do, we, we bring our, our difficulties and our burdens and, and we need the Lord to touch us and, and we know this, we know that He loves us, He cares for us. But today, if you're here, and I say this lovingly, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I need you to know today that God has something in store for you because his heart is beating for the lost. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But starting at verse 1, the Bible says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has, a, uh, has 10 silver, uh, silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found. Brothers and sisters, in every one of these parables, we see the heart of God for those who are lost. I appreciate what Julian said. We've said that from time to time this morning. We are grateful for anybody who comes to this church and senses a need in their life to to stay here, to be here, that the word of God is preached, that they're fed spiritually. But in the end, God's heart is beating for the lost. In the end, his heart is beating for those who walk up and down these streets and they don't they don't go to a church on Sunday morning. They go home and they, they waste their lives away. They go to a job. They go to parties on the weekend. They do whatever it is that they feel like doing and they feed their flesh. They feed their lusts. They feed all of these things and they are far away from God. Brothers and sisters, today, if there is anything I want to be able to communicate to you, it is this. God's heart is for the lost. He is for those who are out doing their own thing today. You might know friends and neighbors, loved ones, family members, people who are out away from the Lord. They are wandering away. They can't find their way back home. They don't know how to get to God. That is what God is concerned about. They are the ones that God desires to come into a relationship with. Listen, you have a relationship with the Lord. You are always with Him, and yet we know this. We know that we need to grow in Him, but as we grow, God wants to use us as His hand extended To a lost and a dying world. Jesus said these words. He said he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God, the Bible says, is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. We have a tendency to spend the vast majority of our time worrying about the the little world that we have shaped for ourselves. We get so uptight and so frantic about our own little bubble that we live in that we fail to have the vision that God has. Listen, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 toward the end of the chapter that Jesus looked out and he saw the multitudes and he was, as the Bible says, moved with compassion. When we begin to see what God sees, we will be moved with the same kind of compassion. It's not just going to be people you know. It's going to be strangers. 
It's going to be individuals that maybe you just met. It's going to be people that you encounter on the street and there's going to be something that takes place on the inside. God's got to help us today to reach up for for that heart to come into us and His Spirit to move within us in such a way that we will begin to see the loss the way that He sees them. There are four powerful things in these parables that I want to present to you this morning that are shown that show us that we need to reach out to the lost. Four important and powerful things that encourage us to reach out to the lost. The first one is the power of compassion. The power of compassion, we see this in verses 5 through 7 when we talk about the sheep that went astray, that wandered off. And and compassion is, you know, we... We've come to believe that somehow compassion is a sort of a passive emotion. You know, as long as you feel this little tinge in your heart, this little, you know, something that doesn't feel right, then you have felt compassion. No, that isn't compassion. That is the beginning of it, but it's not the end of it. You see, the point of compassion is that it moves to action. Compassion is an active word. It's a word that that reaches out. It's a word that causes us to move out and to do something about what it is that we encounter. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that God desires for us to have a compassion for the lost. I'll share this with you. I'm not in any way trying to be self-aggrandizing. I just it, it, The Lord has been impressing upon my heart more and more lately about the people that I live around. And I've mentioned to you, I think, in times past that we have encountered drug deals, drug dealers, just where we live. Uh, one day I encountered this kid in his car, high school kid at the time, you know, pretending to go over math homework with his buddy down the block. And, uh, you know, as I walked by, we knew what was going on. I walked by the car and went back to the car, and there he had pot right there, just kind of hanging out in his car with this kid. And I tried to talk to him at that point, but it sort of drove a wedge after that. He avoided me. And the other night I saw him uh, out in the alley as I was coming home, and I walked up to him. I said, how are you doing? He said, well, you know, not too good. And he explained why. And I began to talk to him and share with him the gospel, something that I hadn't done on the prior occasion, that I caught him with the drugs. But I told him, I said, listen, you can do better than this, and God has a better plan for your life. Jesus Christ died for your sins, so you don't have to get into this mess because so many who get into this mess don't often get out. And, but, you know, it took me this long, and this is the, the, what I wanted to share with you, is that for the longest time I've been feeling, I need to talk to this kid. I need to talk to this kid. I need to talk to him. Not because as a father I am concerned for my own small children, but as a pastor, as a Christian, as somebody who knows there is a way out for this young man. And it is only through the power of compassion that we can begin to get Step outside of ourselves. And, you know, as a father, I'll be honest with you. I got mad. I got just downright angry. I got upset when I saw what was going on. And I, I looked at my two small girls and, and began to realize the kind of world that they're living in. I got so mad at sin and what the enemy was doing that I avoided the situation. What God was trying to teach me was it's time to get over the anger and let compassion come on the inside and move you to action. Right. 
It goes after the lost. The sheep in this passage wandered off. People sometimes wander off too. We have the tendency to just sort of write them off. Well, they left. Oh, well. They're gone. They're not serving the Lord. What are you going to do? They make their choices. You know, we get so glib. We get so cold. And I don't know how it happens. I don't know why it happens. Maybe it is that we've got to get into the presence of the Lord a whole lot more than what we are. Maybe we have got to get into his presence and begin to pray and to seek God and say, Lord, let your life be formed in me and flow through me. Let me live your life, not my life. But the sheep wandered off. We so often don't do anything about it. Imagine what would have happened to that little sheep that wandered off and couldn't find its way back home if the shepherd had not taken time out to go and to find that sheep. Imagine what could have happened. Anything could have happened to that little sheep. It could have fallen down a cliff. It could have, it could have uh, encountered a wild beast that would have just devoured it instantly. And, and, and there, there could have been all kinds of things that would take place. But the shepherd left the 99 to go looking for the one. The sheep wandered off and people wander off too, brothers and sisters. And you know what? In the end, we have to do what the shepherd does. That's what God did. But now he wants to use us. You realize today that each and every one of you, God desires to place his hand upon you and use for his kingdom, for the very youngest to the very oldest. I know there are teenagers in here this morning. Some of you look disinterested, and that's fine at the moment. But I need to let you know this, that God has better things in store for you. He loves you. Listen, he wants to use you now. You don't have to wait to be a grown-up or to be an adult to have a relationship with God. You can have the kind of relationship with God now that can cause you to be a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of God in your high schools. God wants to use you. Why? Because there are teenagers around you. There are young people around you who are on a fast track to nowhere and they are wandering off and they are in danger. We have got to rescue them. Sheep are wandering off and we have got to reach out to them. The shepherd's concern was for the one. It was for the one. Imagine this. He's got 99 sheep there. He probably in his mind thought, well, you know, I've got 99 left. Right? What's one? No big deal. I'm not going to worry about the one. You know, why would I care about the one? I've got 99. I've got to tend to. They need food. They need water. I've got I to gotta keep them, you know, in the fold. I've got to keep them where they need to be. I've got to watch out for these 99 that are here. I can't leave them alone and go after the one. What's going to happen? But the shepherd's concern was for the one. The Bible tells us this. In fact, if you would, just briefly, quickly, turn over with me to the book of Acts. To the book of Acts, chapter 8. And we're going to see what God does every now and then. with regard to the one and the fact that every soul to him matters. Every soul counts. It isn't the masses of people. It's the one. I, there are pastors of churches, large churches, and I, I am not a pastor of a large church as we look around this morning. 
I'm grateful for the church that I have. But when we, we, I've encountered pastors who, pastors, they pastor large churches. And they've got lots of people to be concerned about. And what often happens is, is the one doesn't matter anymore. They come or go, what are you going to do? But you know what? In the end, brothers and sisters, whether it's a large church or a small church, we have to be concerned with the one. Acts chapter 8. Go down with me to verse... Oh, let's go back up to verse 20. No, let's not. Let's go to verse 25. The Bible says, When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord... Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. There was a, give you a little bit of background. God had asked Philip. God had chosen Philip or Philip had gone to the city of Samaria and to preach the gospel. And as he had gotten there, he, he got there, there was a mighty re- revival that took place. People came to the Lord. They, they came to, to, to seek the Lord. They came with all their hearts to receive Christ as Savior. And so now there's this mighty revival. There's lots of people. Peter and John hear about it. They come from Jerusalem. They go to Samaria. They share the word of God. More takes place. And there's this great revival that is happening. The Bible says this. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in the chariot, in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now we're going to, we're just going to drop off reading right there because I'm not going to finish this message today. (laughs) It just occurred to me, but we're going to stop reading just at the moment because I want to share this with you. Think about this for a minute. Most people throng to events that have major, major, uh, you know, revival type settings. People come from all over. They hear about this revival, that revival, and they go from where they are and they go to this one place. And they all get together and everybody's got a revival. You imagine out of all of this, out of this revival, God now says to Philip, he says, I want you to leave this place. Leave Samaria. I don't know if Philip, it seems Philip had no conversation with God about it. He just obeyed. But we would probably typically say, but wait a minute, Lord, don't you see the number of people who are here? You know, don't you see the amount of people that have come and they're, they're really on fire for God. They're doing their best to serve the Lord and they, they need somebody here to minister to them, Lord. This is a great revival. Certainly you don't want me to leave this. But that's exactly what God did to Philip. He told him to get up and go down. There was a road between that stretches from Gaza to Jerusalem. And there he saw a chariot with one man sitting in it. One individual sitting in that chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Scroll, a copy of it. He has had Isaiah, he's reading it. And he just so happened to be reading Isaiah 53. 
and he didn't understand it. Listen to what the Bible says. Let's continue reading, starting at verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he, asked, or he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? This guy had great perception. As he's reading the scripture, he says, okay, who's the prophet talking about? And here it is. He says this, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Imagine this. And at, at the end of this story is, the eunuch says, I believe it. What, what prevents me from being baptized? Let's go down here. Here, look, there's a, there's a little stream, a little river. Let's go down there. You baptize me. And there, that very day, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. God is concerned about the one. God told Philip, Philip, get out of this revival now. I want you to leave what has been taking place in Samaria. I'm going to establish that. I'm, going to, I'm the one who preserves all that. Don't worry about it. You leave. I've got one for you to witness to. I've got one person that you need to encounter. I've got somebody there that I want you to explain the gospel to. And brothers and sisters, so often we think it's going to happen in major settings and, and outreaches. And yes, there is nothing that we need to do more in this place than have outreaches. We need to out reach out to a lost and a dying world. But it's not just trying to get people into this building and get them to say yes when an altar call is given. It comes down to the one. Are you chasing? one you going after the one that's what it is the shepherd was concerned about the one we come to the lost coin and there is something an important and a powerful lesson in this and it is not only the power of compassion which we saw with the lost sheep but we see the power of perseverance and I'm going to end up with this point this week and share with the, in the next one the last two next week but the power of perseverance. Verses 8 through 10. We see the woman who lost the coin. She had 10. Lost one. Now she had nine. You would think, well, but she has nine. Don't worry about it. No big deal. But no, the Bible says this. There are a couple of things that she did. She lit a lamp. Because at that point, houses even in the daytime could be dark. There was no electricity. And the windows that they would have were not like our windows today. And so oftentimes they were smaller. And so certainly she had to light a lamp, whether it was at daytime or at nighttime. It didn't really matter, but she lit a lamp. Light is ever so important for us. We know the general purpose of it. It helps to light up a darkened room, a room where you can't see anything. We shouldn't miss the significance of this in this parable. Jesus told his disciples that they were the light of the world. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. You are the light of the world. And you, you can't put a lamp or a, a lamp under a bushel and have that light be effective. You can't hide the light. 
how many of your coworkers have any clue that you're a Christian? How many of your family members, your neighbors, or do we just encounter them and they just sort of think, okay, they're just sort of nice people? <laughs> we really hope that they think that, right? Let's hope they don't think you're cantankerous and cranky and nasty and all of those things. But how many of them really know? You see, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A light brightens a darkened world. The light that shines in you should be brightening the world that you live in. It should bring light to those who are lost, those who are in darkness. We need to know, brothers and sisters, that the light is shining through us. You are the light of the world. It is important for us that we let the light of our Christian witness shine around us so that we will be the source of hope that people will have in the midst of their dark situations. Don't be discouraged when there are those who reject the light that you shine. Listen to why they will. You don't need to turn there, but listen to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. The Bible says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus obviously at that point is referring to himself, but then he told his disciples on another occasion, You are the light of the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Most of the stuff that goes down, that's bad, that's wrong, when does it go down? Night. It happens at night. You know, you, I mean, I, I've been here later at night. And I'll be honest with you. If I have to come to this building late at night, I come through the front door. I don't come through the back door. I've seen some things out here. There's a whole lot of no good that can go on. And it happens at night. Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Light came into the world. The Bible goes on and it says this. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. If they reject the light that's in you, there's a reason. And the reason is they don't want to be uncovered. They don't want to have what they're doing exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Some people reject the light that is in you because they love the darkness that they're in. It covers the sin. It covers what they're dealing with. It covers all the things, the deeds of darkness that they're doing. They love the darkness. They retreat to the darkness. Not a physical darkness necessarily, but a spiritual darkness. That's where they feel the, the most at home. And all of a sudden you get somebody who comes in and says, Listen, Jesus cleansed me of all my sins. You know, I used to be an addict. I used to be a partier. I used to go clubbing. I used to go drinking. I used to go hang out with everybody and I had a foul mouth. But you know what? Jesus saved me. He cleansed me of all my sins. And all of a sudden they hear about that and they're like, wait a minute. See, that's nice. They reject it because their deeds are evil. So what are you to do? What are we supposed to do? Simple. Persevere. Keep letting the light shine. 
Don't let it go out. Don't, don't hide it because, well, you know, I'm afraid people will reject it. Well, you know what? Welcome to the club. Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you too. You know, don't think for a minute. We're not here, brothers and sisters, to sort of somehow stroke everybody the right way, make them feel as though, you know, everybody's okay. We've got to present a message of the gospel. Listen, it is still good news, but good news also involves the fact that there is sin, and sin has to be dealt with. The good news is there is a way out of that sin. He dealt with our sin on the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin when we come in faith let your light shine in a darkened world let it shine persevere light that lamp let it shine don't apologize for it don't don't be apologetic well I'm a Christian I'm really sorry to say that why would you be sorry to say you're a Christian Why would you be sorry to say that Jesus has changed your life, has given you new hope and given you eternal life? Why would we ever, ever be apologetic for it? Let the light shine and do it in such a way that will honor him and glorify him in the world that you live in. There is something else that happened in this parable. And the Bible says she swept until she found it. She didn't give up after the first few sweeps of the broom. The work that she had was done through perseverance. She recognized that the only way to get the job done was to keep going. Keep doing it. Keep working at it. If there is anything that we have had to learn over the years, it is you keep going. One of the things that, that Pastor Impaglia used to say uh, often was, you work with the workers, you pray with the prayers, you sing with the singers. And you know what? In the end, that's what we have to do. We keep on going. We keep moving forward. We keep on moving ahead to what God wants us to do. And the work that she had to persevere through was nothing by comparison to the value of that lost coin. A lot of times we focus on all the hard work, all the work I'm doing. Listen, in the end, that soul is worth more than the work that you're putting out. It's It's worth infinitely more. That individual who is out lost doing their own thing, deep in sin, I'm here to let you know their soul is so intensely valuable and it's so valuable to God that he has gone to great lengths to make sure that that soul comes into the kingdom of God. What lengths are we going to? A lot of times we sort of discount the work part of it. You know, we, uh, we've become dependent on the Holy Spirit. I believe that we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will move in the heart and the life of the individual. He comes to convict of sin. It's not our, our job to convict of sin. That's the Holy Spirit. But you know what? It is our job to light a lamp and keep sweeping. It's our job to light a lamp and persevere through whatever it is that we're going through to be able to reach out to a lost and a dying world. Listen, I recognize today that some of you sitting in this building, you have trouble in your life, you have pain in your life, you have problems in your life. There is no cure for problems quite like beginning to reach out to somebody else, beginning to forget about what's going on in your own mind and heart and life for a moment and begin to extend a hand 
of his love to somebody who is in need. I'm here to let you know God will bring a blessing in your life if you'll begin to persevere and light that lamp in the world that we live in. God has called us to greater things. He has called us to do infinitely more than what we're doing now. And he desires for us to persevere in the midst of all of that. We need to have the same attitude toward those who are lost. You keep on working. You keep persevering. You keep moving forward. You keep witnessing. You keep presenting the gospel. You keep it out there. You put it out there and let the Holy Spirit do his work. He's going to work through you. He's going to minister through you. He's going to help you. But we have to obey and say, Lord, I am going to give my all to you right now. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to go after the one. I'm going to be what you want me to be to reach out to the one who has wandered away. There are young people that we have encountered over the years. Some of you put in requests for your children that we've been praying for. I remember when they were here as teenagers. And some of them are far from God. Some of them are away from the Lord. And, you know, over time, we can just begin to sort of almost accept that fact. Can I encourage you today? Don't accept that. Don't in any way buy into that, that that's just the way it's going to be. It's just somehow a phase. It's just something that they're going through. No, no, no. Don't even, don't even begin to think that phases can somehow phase out. Sometimes they can become the major phase that shapes the direction of their life. If you don't intervene through the power of God, then, brothers and sisters, there can be dangerous consequences. We have got to fight for their souls. We've got to persevere. We've got to light the lamp and continually put it out there. Don't accept it as, as just, well, that's just the way it's going to be. No, brothers and sisters, this is about eternity. It's about God coming into people's lives and changing them for all of eternity. That soul is going to live somewhere. We think about death and we think how we grieve when somebody dies. My father passed away in 2006, a man of God. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord as a pastor for so many years. But I remember standing, and I can remember it as, as though it were yesterday, the feeling that I had in my heart as I stood in my mom's house, and, and it became more real as we went. My brothers and I went to, to view his body and view the casket as it came into the building, the church building. And I remember just how I felt, and I grieved. I knew he was with the Lord. I knew he was in, in the Lord's presence. But I grieved because of my own loss. But somehow, if we can somehow remember that the individual, when they pass from this life, they pass to another. Your body dies, but the soul continues to live, and it will live somewhere. The people that we encounter on a daily basis, they will live past their death. They will live somewhere. Will it be in heaven or will it be in hell? And what is our role in all of this? To get them to see that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for their sins. 
No, don't discount your ability to be able to reach them because I believe with all my heart, God can take us and he can use us for his kingdom. In fact, that's what he wants to do. He wants to use you. He wants us to be a light to a lost world. Next week, we're going to talk about the lost son. We'll talk about this man and what it meant and what it means to all of these things that are so important for us to recognize the the heartbeat of God and what God really is searching for and all of this. And I realize some of you, you got problems today. You got difficulties. You got things you're, you're worrying about. But you know what? For a moment, in the closing moments of this meeting, can we just set those things aside for a moment? And we're going to pray in just a minute, and we're going to ask the Lord to help us to begin to see through his eyes, to begin to see the things that he sees in the world, to begin to see people the way that he sees them. Can we stand to our feet right now?